0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Films with Ferrara podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dominic Ferrara, the editor-in-chief of FilmswithFerrara.wordpress.com. I'm sorry this episode is coming to you guys a little bit late this week. Uh, First of all, I'm by myself uh, this week. Uh, TJ will be back next week to discuss all of his his, uh, trip to Texas and the Conference USA basketball tournament. Uh, His Marshall Thundering Herd took home uh, the Conference USA Championship and will be playing in the NCAA Tournament. Uh, They're taking on Wichita State, I believe. Let me just make sure that's correct. I have the bracket in front of me. And yeah, Wichita State, they're going to be playing this Friday. So go ahead and watch that. Also playing this Friday, my North Carolina Tar Heels. They're going to be taking on some really, really tiny school. I put the bracket down and walked away. So that was a really great move on my part. Um, They're going to be taking on Lipscomb on Friday. So get excited. The NCAA tournament is on its way. Um, So that's why I'm coming to you solo this week. Uh, Hopefully TJ will be back soon. Um, If not next week, then the week after that to talk about all of his basketball and NCAA tournament adventures. Uh, he may be going to the game in San Diego on Friday, so, to play, so that'd be good. But I am, uh, all by myself here on a Sunday night, just getting content to the good people listening to this podcast, and I, I'm just going on them. This week was a, a very trailer-heavy week, um, however, we have to start with the biggest story of the week, obviously the Academy Awards, the 90th Oscars, were last Sunday night, um, it was a big night for Guillermo del Toro and Fox Searchlight. The Shape of Water took home Best Picture. Guillermo del Toro took home Best Director. Uh, Fox Searchlight also secured two acting victories for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri for Francis McDormand and for Sam Rockwell. Um, many of the categories were, were pretty much chalk on Sunday night. Um, the I mean, so we had some great moments on stage, Robert Francis McDormand's speech with the inclusion writer uh, line that she gave, um, Jordan Peele winning best original screenplay for get out a, an incredibly deserved win. It was amazing to see him get his moment on stage at the Academy Awards for crafting such an incredible film. Um, a film that subverts its genre in many unexpected ways. Uh We had uh, uh, a stunning visual effects upset for Blade Runner 2049. um, Knocking off War for the Planet of the Apes, which made me the angriest on Sunday night. Um, In my opinion, I think it's truly shameful that uh, the Planet of the Apes trilogy did not win a single Oscar for Best Visual Effects after the Visual Effects Society gave them their top award for all three of those Planet of the Apes films, so uh actual garbage, honestly, if we're being real, uh sorry to the academy for for saying that it was actual garbage, but it was in fact actual garbage uh, baby driver also lost for best editing. That was another prediction I got wrong Dunkirk won I can't say I'm surprised, but uh, it was one of the gonna be one of those two, as far as my predictions went, I hit nineteen of twenty four on Sunday night, about uh, 79%, I believe, it was a uh, a a big success to hit a for me uh, to hit 19 of them. I, that might be my best yet. Yeah, I missed Best Picture. I picked Get Out for Best Picture. I missed Live Action Short, and I think a lot of people missed that one. Best Visual Effects, Best Editing, and Best which else, which other one did I miss? I don't feel like it was a major one. Well, whichever one it was, I missed it. Um, I don't have my ballot with me at the moment. It's uh, I left it back in my dorm. I'm back on spring break, which is also part of why this episode is coming to you a little bit late. I'm on I'm on spring break, um, which is wonderful. Spring break has been solid the first couple days. I won a championship in 2K, so that's a, that's a big win for me. But 19 out of 24 It was a a very good night for us. Oh, Best Original Song was one I missed. That was a, a bit of an upset. The Academy went with the Safe Choice and Coco's Remember Me instead of This Is Me from The Greatest Showman, which that performance absolutely tore the house down with Kiala Settle. Um, I've had a feeling, I felt like that was a slam dunk to win, and it was not. So, again, the Academy messing up once again, but... Guillermo del Toro, it was great to see him get a moment winning Best Director, and for Best Picture, he had poignant speeches for both categories. Uh, all three of the three amigos have now won Academy Awards for Best Director, and have won four of the last five Best Director Oscars, del Toro, Alfonso Cuaron, and Alejandro Iñárritu. Um, they're just an incredible group of filmmakers, and uh, it's truly an honor that we get to live in a time where filmmakers like them, like those three, are, are working. Um, I'm glad that we get to experience their filmmaking uh, while we're on this earth. So that's great. Um, Next up, we're going to go to a big story from today. Black Panther took home the box office crown for the fourth consecutive week. But the big win there really is that Black Panther crossed the $1 billion mark worldwide. um, The fifth Marvel film to do so, and the first Marvel film not featuring Tony Stark, uh, Robert Downey Jr., as Iron Man, to cross that mark uh, after it made about $66 million in China over the weekend uh, in, its first, in its opening weekend there. A huge victory for Marvel, a huge victory for Hollywood, and even further with the box office, A Wrinkle in Time is in second place with about $32-$33 million, um, the first time, at least in recent memory, that the number one and number two at the box office for a weekend were both were movies made by black directors. So that is a, a huge achievement. Um, congratulations to Disney, to Ryan Coogler, and to Ava DuVernay, uh, two incredible filmmakers, and to the studio for really pushing the diversity and really pushing these movies. Uh, it, it, this obviously is a very important weekend in the history of Hollywood, I feel like, to have two black directors at the top of the box office with big budget, $100 million blockbusters. Um, obviously a wrinkle in time, $30 billion. it opened uh, decently, $100 billion budget, uh, it's going to come down to how it does overseas, but I think it's got a shot to at least break even, and if it doesn't, then Ryan Coogler has more than made, and Black Panther have more than made up for any, whatever slight loss Disney takes on it, but that is still a huge victory, for Disney, with both of those films, making about $70 plus million combined, so, Uh, Next up, we're going to talk about, uh, let's go to this story. Uh, There were a few. Mackenzie Davis, uh, you might know her from Halt and Catch Fire, the AMC show. You might know her from the Black Mirror episode, San Junipero, widely regarded as one of the best episodes of that incredible anthology show, has apparently landed one of the lead roles in the new Terminator reboot. Uh, alongside Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's me, Arnold. You know that. Yes. Um, Alongside Arnold and Linda Hamilton, uh, to be directed by Tim Miller, whose last film obviously was Deadpool, and produced by James Cameron. She is set to play a warrior assassin, or something along those lines. It's a human role. She's not playing a Terminator. Um, Justin Kroll over at Variety got that scoop. Um, It's a... I'm trying to, take a look. they're also looking for a, another role, another woman, uh, reportedly a Latina to truly lead the franchise. So uh, Mackenzie Davis will star and that it is, uh, expected that she will be in the entire trilogy. They are going to look for a Latina actress to take on the true lead role of this new fran- new trilogy. So that's really good casting. Mackenzie Davis is a terrific actress. I'm a big fan of her work. And uh, she's incredible in San Junipero. That, that's an incredible upset of television. *Halt and Catch Fire*, one of the most underrated TV shows of the last like ten years. Not nearly enough people watched it, um, and it was an absolutely incredible show. So give that a watch if you haven't. I believe every all of the seasons except maybe the last one. I don't know if it's up there yet. Is are, all those seasons are on Netflix. So go watch that show, and you're gonna realize I'm how stupid you were for not getting there earlier. Um. Next up, officially confirmed by Patty Jenkins. We talked about this a little bit last week, but Kristen Wiig is officially signed on as Cheetah in Wonder Woman 2. So if you want to hear more analysis about that, uh, go back and listen to last week's episode. It was a really great double episode. Um, this episode will today will not nearly be as long because it's one of us just summing up thoughts on stuff um, over the last week or so. Uh, Especially a lot of it being trailers. So we'll get to trailers in a little bit here. Um, Oh, last week also, as far as Awards Corner, I totally forgot about this. Um, Big Awards Corner story. Uh, The Independent Spirit Awards were last week. I know they don't really matter much compared to the Oscars. The Independent Spirit Awards were last week. John Mulaney and Nick Kroll hosted and did an incredible job. Their monologue was one of the funniest things I've heard in a very long time. And Get Out one Best Feature. So, Get Out did take home one major Best Picture award uh, from in Hollywood this year. So, congrats to Jordan Peele and the crew there. Then, uh, obviously, congrats to Jordan Peele on his big win from Sunday night once again. All right. We are going to have next up... Should we do some TV talk or should we do some trailer talk? That is the question that I'm going to ask myself on the air. And you're all going to hear it. And this is definitely bad radio. And I do not care. Alright. We're going to do uh, some TV talk here. That's what we're going to do. The big TV story of the week. Is that. John Favreau. The acclaimed filmmaker behind. Iron Man. The Jungle Book. The upcoming Lion King remake. And uh and Chef, a movie that I absolutely adore, has officially signed on to executive produce and write a live-action series in the Star Wars universe for Disney's upcoming streaming service that is set to launch next year. There's no release date that's been announced. One um, of the problematic things about this announcement, because I think it's good. First of all, John Favreau deserves this, and he he clearly loves Star Wars. He's a terrific fantasy filmmaker and understands how to craft those worlds, uh, this is a terrific choice if you're going to get someone to sign on to write this show. It's, it's a well-deserved role for him, and it, it's, I'm very excited for this show because he is someone that, is a, that I really enjoy as a filmmaker, and he will do great work here. But they announced this on International Women's Day, which which brings us to the interesting topic that we talked about with uh, a lot with Benioff and Weiss when they signed on a few weeks ago to write a new trilogy, where are the women? Where are the people of color? Where are they? Where are they coming from here? And I think uh, this show is going to be able to get because it's a live action Star Wars show. That's something that's never been done. It's going to attract a lot of interesting filmmakers that maybe just want to do a week or two doing a show, nothing massive. Um, I think just from there I think they're going to be able to get a lot of women and people of color signed on to direct and to maybe co-write some episodes maybe this is and uh, this is just me spitballing here I remember a couple of months back it was reported that Reed Murano uh, from The Handmaid's Tale won a, who won an Emmy for directing on that show um, had met with Kathleen Kennedy and then Reed Murano cleared up she had not met with Reed Murano about a movie or Murano had said she hadn't met up with Kennedy about a, a Star Wars movie but she had met with her is it, I'm going to guess, it's just me spilling, because I, I have a feeling Favreau will probably direct an episode or two of this show as well, I have a feeling Reed Morano is going to direct one to two episodes of the first season of this show, um, which would be uh, obviously a huge coup, she's an incredible director and amazing former cinematographer, so visually it would be amazing to watch, um. So I think that will help to solve a bit of the diversity issue going on behind the scenes at Lucasfilm, uh, just as far as the filmmakers they hire. Um, th- that would be huge to me, just getting Reed Morano and other filmmakers of color. I don't know who else they'd possibly get, but like a, they would get, but Jess Snyder, like I said, reported a couple of weeks back that there had been uh, screenwriters uh, and directors of color and uh, that are women, that had been hired by Lucasfilm for various projects. There could be other TV shows. Potentially in development. Other movies. We have no idea. But I'm sure there will be more coming. I'm going to guess Lucasfilm understands what's going on. And we'll keep this going. Alright. Uh, other TV talk here. Jessica Jones Season 2 is now out. I have not gotten a chance to watch it yet. Um, I will get back to you guys when I do. Uh, Black Mirror got ordered for another season. This was a, a pretty much a no duh decision from Netflix. Black Mirror is one of the most popular shows, and uh, it's it, it's highly successful, critically acclaimed, won them an Emmy for Zan- Sanjou Depero. This is just a no-brainer, and I'm super excited for I believe it's season five when it comes out. And it'll only be about five or six episodes per usual, I would guess. Uh, long. June 22nd, Netflix announced, will be season two of Luke Cage, the release date for that show. I'm really excited about that. Luke Cage is, in my opinion, a terrific show. It's incredibly entertaining. Mike Coulter does an incredible job playing that character. I know Lucy Liu is coming in to direct an episode, and I'm very much looking forward to season two as uh, Alfre Woodard's character continues to sort of run Harlem, and she's set up to be the main villain of the season. Um, I just—I'll be interested to see how they further adjust without Mahershala Ali playing Cottonmouth, considering that the, 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 we're beyond the statute of limitations on spoilers here. That show came out in 2016, so you got anything else or, or, or early 2017, whichever it was. It do, do, doesn't matter at this point. I think it came out in 2016. If you haven't watched it yet, then whatever. Uh, but you know, they kill Cottonmouth seven episodes in. They killed their best character seven episodes in out of a 13-episode season. They pivot to Diamond back, and sure enough, the back half of the season is is not as good as the front half. As is the case with most of these Marvel Netflix shows. They really should consider cutting the order down on them. But that's Luke Cage. June twenty-second, season two on the way. Alright, let's get to some trailers, because it was a pretty trailer heavy week. There were three major trailers that came uh four i should say now that uh one dropped tonight here on sunday night and then after that we're going i'm going to review annihilation which i saw last friday uh with and a movie that i very much enjoyed and i'm very sad that it didn't do well so we'll go from, we'll go from there now uh, first up mary poppins returns um this was a obviously this was a the disney's big drop during the oscars was a trailer for Mary Poppins Returns, a movie that, according to Deadline, they plan to give a full awards push this year. They have fallen in love with this Mary Poppins movie. They've fallen in love with Emily Blunt as the character. Um, they're also going to give this that same Oscar full Oscar push to Black Panther, but which is amazing and could really have a shot to get a Best Picture nomination. Disney's making the early moves correct correctly apparently, uh, but Mary Poppins. It's, I mean, this is, they don't really show too much. There's a kite flying. A kid's chasing a kite. Lin-Manuel Miranda sees the kite go by as he's riding on a bike. Helps the kid pull in the kite. And on the, as the kite comes back in, who's holding it on the, up in the sky and coming down other than Mary Poppins, uh, played by Emily Blunt. Then there's a scene with the older Jane and Michael, the, like, Mary Poppins, it's so good to see you. And Emily Blunt just looks into the mirror and goes, "Yes, it is." She walks on, and her reflection remains in the mirror. Just and peeks down the hallway, just as she did in the original Mary Poppins. Uh, just a nice little sort of callback to an all-time great cinematic moment. This movie, I think, is going to be. I think it's going to be solid. I think Rob Marshall knows what he's doing with a movie like this. Emily Blunt is going to be great as Mary Poppins. Lin Manuel Miranda is perfect casting for a movie like this. This just seems like a movie he was born to be in on many levels. Um, Meryl Streep's in there as well. Great cast. And Colin Firth is playing the villain, supposedly. So this, this should be a really fun Christmas family movie uh, for Christmas Day 2018. A great teaser trailer to kick off the marketing campaign. Uh, about nine months out. So that's usually a good time to start the marketing campaign. So. For a movie like this, good to get it in the public consciousness while well, we can. But that was not it for Disney this week. They also unveiled the teaser trailer for their upcoming film Christopher Robin, which is a live-action Winnie the Pooh movie um, with Ewan McGregor starring as Christopher Robin, as an as an older man who has, has to basically he's a busybody. He's have he has a really rough job. He's been being kept on weekends, supposed to go away with the kids. And his wife, he sends his wife and kids off, and he's just thinking, "What to do, what to do?" Sitting on a park bench, and then Winnie the Pooh comes up behind him uh, to bring some magic and some imagination back into his life, uh, to teach him, to remind him what matters in life. The plot is predictable, but the emotions of just hearing Winnie the Pooh just go, "What to do, what to do," or no, "What to do indeed." It was it was adorable. Brought me right back to my childhood. Um, like just seeing Winnie the Pooh it's a different sort of Winnie the Pooh looks like it's an actual teddy bear they clearly went back to the roots it actually looks like I saw a photo like the actual um, teddy bear that Winnie the Pooh was based on which was really cool Um, and a a nice touch Mark Forster directed this movie I'm looking forward to this I feel like this is going to be a solid movie Disney does a very good job and they brought in some really good screenwriters to touch up the script, including Tom McCarthy, whose last movie was Spotlight, so which went on to win Best Picture. So that was a big win uh for Disney this week. Two two trailers that were highly successful, got a lot of views, and uh and there's and you know, those movies should do well financially for them. Right, next up as far as trailers go, we have Dr. Seuss's The Grinch coming from Universal and Illumination Entertainment at Cumberbatch voicing the Grinch. I, I mean, this this trailer looked cute. It didn't really give away anything. We all know the story of the Grinch, but it didn't really show us what kind of take we're getting here. Basically, all I got from this is that the Grinch is going to go around and just do just do mean things to people just the whole movie, like taking things out of their like, grocery store, or breaking things in the grocery store that people were going to get. Like, they used that grocery store. So, so it basically just seems like, like yeah, the Grinch actually mean. Not like we have an entire song for that, which plays in the trailer. <sighs> it's a little much for my liking, per se. It looked cute, but I, I, I don't think the trailer worked 100%. I think uh, Illumination's really got to streamline their marketing a little bit more on this. Especially because they also have that poster with the baby Grinch in there, like, like the origin story Grinch, and they haven't really... They didn't go to that at all in this trailer. I, I really want to see what the take is here, other than just "oh, the Grinch, he's he's mean, guys." It's it's not not great, honestly. So hopefully they'll figure out what their what their take is and market it instead of whatever they're doing right now. That's the Grinch for you. Um, and then the last trailer that just dropped tonight was "Sorry to Bother You," a a supposedly wild movie from that premiered at Sundance this year from Boots Riley. The, uh, who's a, a very talented filmmaker with an incredible ensemble cast: Tessa Thompson, Der, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, Dandy Glover, Army Hammer. Just just a a few of those in the movie. Um, the trailer looks very Michelle Gondry like, uh, kind of like a, like, a modern, like a like a black Michelle Gondry type movie. It's supposed its supposedly like it's already weird that about an, I, I saw a tweet from Pat Oswald today. It's like it starts out weird, and then about an hour mark, they go—they don't go hold my beer. They're like, yeah, hold my cocaine, and it gets it's just even more insane. Um, you know, Lakeith Stanfield doing his, his white person voice as a telemarketer, which just just killed me. LaKeith Stanfield is one of my favorite actors working today for a reason we'll get to in a moment because we're going to talk about Atlanta. We're going yeah, to that's not even going to be TV talk anymore. It's going to be its own separate segment, um, the ATL. But he is an incredible actor, and he he looked and him and Tessa Thompson playing off each other should be a ton of fun to watch. Uh, two of my favorite actors working today right now. Um, it it just looks insane. I've heard it's insane. I'm excited to see it. It comes out this summer from Annapurna. Um, Hopefully it lives up to what I've heard it is, because if it is as crazy as it sounds, it seems like we're in for a really interesting ride. All right, now we have our Atlanta recap coming right up. Uh, Maybe the best show on television. We're going to call this segment from now on the ATL. And uh, this week was certainly an adventure. Give me... Hold one second here. Sorry, everyone. I just... Had a little tickle in my throat. Had to to drink some water there. Um, But it was certainly an adventure for Urn. This was a more Urn-centric episode. (coughs) (coughs) Sorry, everybody. Excuse me. Um, Alongside uh, Paperboy, his cousin's new roommate, his friend Tracy, uh, who, who had quite an interesting subplot of his own going on here. Ties into her in subplot and then Paperboy, uh, and of course, the one, the only Darius, played by Lakeith Stanfield, my favorite te- character on television right now, uh, on their own weed centric subplot. Um, as you know, at the very beginning of the episode, Paperboy's plug, his, his weed dealer, decides to rob him, and uh, he says he really needs money. At the end, though, he starts to drive away, and he just goes, "Yeah, I'm gonna pay you back, though," which which killed me. This was maybe the funniest robbery scene of of in any show ever. It was incredible. Um. Next up, after that, uh, let's see. And then and then the rest of the episode really for Paperboy and Darius are trying to find a new weed dealer. But before that, even, um, they go to uh, Earn. And Paperboy, they go to, like, a radio station or a, we- or a website. I, I feel like it's supposed to be, like, complex, but I'm not 100% certain what what the inspiration was. And they're doing, like, some marketing stuff there, a little live performance, like, very little because Paperboy gives up about 30 seconds in. Um, just, just, it's, it's funny. It's a get out sort of thing. They're, like, the only people of color in the office, like, everyone working there is white, which is an interesting, um, interesting thing to look at there there's a scene where Earn is looking in to a recording Paperboy is doing and all the white people in the office are looking at him very Get Out-esque um, you could have told me Jordan Peele directed this episode and I would have not disagreed with you but there's also a, uh, an artist in there that was supposed to be Chance the Rapper that absolutely murdered me uh, in, to tears with my laughter so that was really funny, um, an incredible subplot there. And then, last but not least, Ern's other plot with Tracy. Uh, Tracy has a big job interview. He's cooking some waves underneath the uh, underneath his do rag, so he's just waiting. He's waiting for the hair to to be ready for this big job interview. But at the same time, Ern gets paid four uh, about four k. From the dogs that he helped to that he traded up for in season one, it was a great callback uh from Darius uh, which basically uh you know c- confirms the one thing we all know about the show if there's one character to actually trust on this show, it is the one the only Darius he is the greatest um uh, but Ern immediately gives Tracy the four k saying tracy said he could double the money. Uh, by putting it all on a on a mall gift card, and instead, Earn doesn't get to spend the whole four grand. Uh, Tracy doesn't get the job. It doesn't get the job because he takes an interview with a company that apparently is not looking to hire, which is makes make no sense. Um, I'm just thinking, and he goes on a tantrum about how they're racist and whatnot. So that's probably true. Um, he overcooked the waves; it was not great. Um, Earn is suddenly out four k, which would have been the best plot device to get Van and uh, Ern and Van's daughter back into the season, but we're still waiting for Van to, to appear uh, played by Zazie Beats. I'm wondering if there's the lack of her is because she was shooting Deadpool 2 I don't know uh, but hopefully we'll get to see her in episode 3 this would have been a great opportunity The four, just giving her the 4K would have been the responsible thing to do for Earn, or at least a cut of it but it's Earn, so we can't have that We we just can't have nice things and uh, and that's this week's episode. It was no Cat Williams appearances, but it was still an incredibly funny and entertaining episode. Uh, with moments that were sometimes dramatic and sometimes hysterical, as Atlanta always is. And that's the ATL for this week. Alright, so last but not least, I know this is a relatively short episode, but again, there's only one of us. There's not really a conversational aspect here. I'll be, I'm sorry if I'm like rambling at all in any way, but... I basically am rambling, so there's that. I'm going to talk about Annihilation, which is a new film from Alex Garland, the filmmaker behind Ex Machina. His second directorial feature, although after news this week, it's technically his third. He apparently directed much of Dread, starring Carl Urban. Carl Urban straight upset himself that he basically directed that movie. Um, but Annihilation stars Natalie Portman, Gina Rodriguez, Tessa Thompson, Jennifer Jason Lee. Oscar Isaac is in there as well, and Benedict Wong. There's really only about seven characters, eight eight characters, in the whole movie. Um, Three supporting, five leading, and the movie follows the five women. uh, Lee Thompson, Gina Rodriguez, Natalie Portman, and another woman played by an actress that I had not previously heard of, and whose name I've now forgotten. And I'm stalling right now in order to pull up her IMDB page right now so that I can figure out who this person was again. And her name was, in fact, Tuva Novotny. <laughs> uh, the f- five five women going into this other world, otherworldly uh, other dimension called the Shimmer that's taking over the Earth. They're trying to figure out what's inside it, what's happening within it, and trying to ma- prevent it. ...from eating the rest of the Earth... ...basically alive... ...and making the entire world... the a, a sh, a ...shimmer. Um, they're basically trying to figure out what's happening. And along the way... ...they start... ...I mean... It, ...this movie really is about... Uh, ...depression. It's about change. Uh, the, as the... ...they get further into the shimmer... The shimmer starts to have effects on them. It starts to either drive them crazy in some ways or to make them feel uh, to make them feel like they are the shimmer in some ways and it's a fat it's about a group of people who are damaged, they have nothing to lose they're depressed they all you know whether or not they make it out alive does not matter to them for certain reasons, uh, and it, it's a beautiful movie, it's beautifully shot, the sound design is incredible, uh, it, it was worth seeing in the theater just for the use of that, that big surround system, um, sound surround system, I should say, uh, I hope it's considered for sound effects oscars next year but of course it won't be because paramount won't spend the money on it because this movie didn't make any money so that's how that's going to work um all the performances were incredible natalie portman just unbelievable as always tessa thompson gina rodriguez and jason jennifer jason lee also incredible and kind of the second secondary leads of the movie um all have incredible moments to shine they, they, everyone gets their moment in this movie. And and that's what's the most impressive thing about it. Um, and then in the third act, it just completely shifts. And it becomes this... And, I mean, it's already a great sci-fi movie. But it becomes more of a thinking sci-fi. And the type of movie that um, doesn't get made often anymore. The type of sci-fi that doesn't get made. It's just this intelligent, thoughtful, intriguing sci-fi. No big action sequence in there. There are moments of action, but they're not big set pieces. And that's possibly part of why this movie didn't really do well at the box office. Also, because Paramount decided to market this as a Natalie Portman movie... Instead of an ensemb- a strong ensemble of women in a sci-fi movie, but, you know, there's that, too. Um, <laughs> just a, a really stupid ploy on their part. Um, from from Paramount's marketing team. Uh, Alex Garland directs this movie and writes this movie wonderfully. He basic, the we went back and read the plot of the book compared to this, and they are, aside from the very basic promise, nothing alike. Uh, so if you've read the book annihilation uh that this movie is quote unquote based on by Jeff VanderMeer you you have still have no idea what's going to happen in this movie this is very much a an adaptation not not an adaptation but more of a that that taking that concept and bringing it to the big screen in a in a different way um but the way it's written is is terrific and the the themes that Alex Garland weaves into the plot are just beautiful great themes and they really you know leave you thinking about life as you walk out of the theater and that's what's most impressive in addition to this I don't want to spoil it because I feel like probably a lot of you haven't seen the movie yet and I really want you to because I believe it's going to be on Netflix later in the year Netflix purchased all international rights and I think they might have gotten SVOD rights domestically but I'm not 100% certain uh if you're listening to this internationally, it's already on... It's Monday, March 12th, so it's you. It's probably available on Netflix already for you guys overseas. It comes out on Monday, March 12th overseas on Netflix. I, I implore you to go watch this movie. I implore you because it deserves an audience uh, in in the worst way. Because not enough, not enough people here in, in America gave it a shot. Um, but I don't want to spoil But there, there's something that happens in the third act that really brings this movie to a whole other intellectual level, as and the, you know the very ending you know leaves you questioning what actually happened at the end of the movie, which is fascinating to me. What exactly has happened, and how does this ending affect the world around us? And what is the significance of this other thing that's going on in the third act. I'm really doing my best not to spoil this movie because I think it's it's very much worth seeing. Um, and that is... I'm going to give Annihilation an, a 9 out of 10. It's a terrific movie. A thoughtful movie. And a movie that I think will stick with you a long time after seeing it. We're off to an incredible start. Uh, for movies in two thousand and eighteen already, with Paddington Two, Black Panther, and Annihilation, three incredible movies already to start the year. That that brings me so much happiness to know that there's good cinema being made already, and it's only fe- it's only March twelfth as we speak right now. Um, so I I implore you to go check out Annihilation if it's still playing in your local theater. The odds are it's probably not, but if it is. Please do yourself a favor and go see it. It's an incredible movie. Um, And if it's not, then I implore you to check it out when it comes out on Blu-ray or on Netflix. Or whenever you get a chance to see it, just see it. And come back and tell us about it. Because I think it's a great movie that I think uh, really has a lot to say about our world and the way we live. Yeah, there's that. So, Annihilation nine out of ten, go see it. So, as we we come to a close here, uh, there's uh, not really any other major issues going on in the world of of cinema to discuss, which is great. Um, and it you know this has been a except for this, I should say this is it's been a it's been a great week in terms of. Have a, a conversation within Hollywood after Francis McDormand's big Inclusion Rider speech on Sunday night. And, you know, Michael B. Jordan announced that his production company would be adopting the Inclusion Rider and in all of its uh, productions going forward, which is amazing news, obviously, to get a, a more diverse crew behind the scenes, which I think will lead to more interesting storytelling. And I just want to take this moment to throw my support behind any company, any actor, any filmmaker that wants to make the Inclusion writer a thing. Uh, I mean, as Frances McDormand said the other night, she's been in the industry for like 30 plus years and just found out a couple of weeks ago that the Inclusion writer was a thing she could do. Ask for at least 50% diversity uh, within the crew. That's incredible. Uh, that that that's something that's possible, but it's sad that it's something that it's not something that people discuss. And I think uh, filmmakers and actors and the stars of our generation right now taking that initiative to ask for that inclusion writer and to push for more diversity behind the scenes is what's going to get more interesting stories told, and is going to uh, you know is going to improve the film industry. So. I really want to throw congratulate Michael B. Jordan for taking that initiative and making such a move. I mean he's already one of my favorite actors working today, but you know he's got my support on basically any project going forward especially after this um Anyone else that wants to follow suit I'll follow you so that's that's that we we uh we want interesting stories, and we want diversity, and we want all people's stories to be told in some way, because not everyone has the same human experience, and I think all facets of the human experience should be told on the big screen, because life is life, no matter who is the person telling us about it. We all can relate in some way. Camille Mangiani's quote on Sunday night, um, you know i've been i ninety percent of the movies I've watched in my life are starring straight white males, but now straight white males can watch go to the movies and see me on screen and relate to it. I've been doing it my entire life. It's not that difficult. It was an incredible quote uh one that I think really um explained this narrative and and put it really into perspective for a lot of people. And then Francis McDormand's quote, uh, her inclusion writer, closer at the at, at for her best actress speech, I think really uh, pushed the point home even further. So, we're going to throw our support behind anyone that wants to adopt the inclusion writer, and hopefully, hopefully we'll get more and more interesting stories told on the big screen uh, for people of all races, colors sexual orientations so on and so forth um, you know if you want to support inclusive cinema with for as far as stories people you know of the other of all sexual orientations I know Love Simon is coming out this week um, it's a, a teen high school rom-com you know it's a standard but it's a it's a gay romance and I've heard the movie is terrific uh, it's entertaining it's funny it's heartwarming so, give that a shot if you want this weekend. It's supposedly a terrific movie directed by Greg Berlanti. So, go give go see it if you want. Go see A Wrinkle in Time, uh, directed by Ava DuVernay with that incredible, diverse cast. Storm Reid, Oprah Winfrey, Mindy Kaling, Gugu Mavatha-Raw, Michael Pena, Reese Witherspoon, Levi Miller, Andre Holland, just an incredible cast, Zach Galifianakis you know, of all races, of all colors, and directed, and of all genders, that's another important thing, we want stories told by women as well, and Ava DuVernay, you know, just getting a movie like this is huge for the industry, on so many levels, but she's only the third woman ever to direct a movie with a hundred million dollar budget, and that's a problem, that's a real problem, so... Go, go, support, go support Black Panther. If you have seen, seen it already, see it again. I'm gonna go see it again. Uh, support stories from all groups of people. It's it's incredibly important and will lead to better cinema going forward. And that's basically how I want to close today's episode. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, I know it's just, it's probably been a really boring episode. I know it's a short episode, but a one-person episode is not as easy as it might seem. Uh, you know, solo a podcast story. And that's your title, uh, for the episode of the week. That's my, I just episode titled, uh-oh. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at DomFerrara5. Uh, sorry for all of the incoming March Madness tweets over the next few weeks. Uh, But this will be terrific uh, over the next few weeks with Marshall getting in and with North Carolina getting in. Uh, One will make it further than the other, I would guess, but uh, it's great that Marshall is getting a shot. It's their first tournament appearance in 30 years, and I'm really happy for TJ and everyone up in Huntington, West Virginia. So congratulations to you guys. I know it's not a thing that happens every year like it is here, like it is in Chapel Hill. So... Um, you guys can read our writing whenever we get around to it. I might be able to get around to a, a blog this week. Uh-oh, on uh oh, on filmswithfarah.wordpress.com, we have a, a solid backlog worth of pieces there, and hopefully I can get something up relatively soon. Uh, I, I know it's been a long time, but I, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, people get busy in college. Yeah, like we like we have like a lot of work to do. I'm on spring break. I have a six-page paper I have to write this week, so that's that's awful. Actually, it's I can't say that's great because it's truly awful, and no one should be subjected to that. But here we are, uh, <laughs> guys. As always, thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next week. We'll try to have a an actual panel next week, uh, this Friday, Saturday, whenever we get a chance to uh, to record. Uh, we're going to play some music at the end here again. seemed like it was a great success for the last episode. Uh, hopefully, you all enjoy some Black Boy and Drake. And from all of us here at Films with Ferrara, enjoy the movies. Hey, guys. So, sorry to lie to you. Uh, it was actually not to sign off because we had some breaking news as soon as I finished the podcast this week. The first reactions at South from South by Southwest from Ready Player One <laughs> have officially hit the web. Uh, this is a movie that's got a lot of hate online. Before its release, um, a really, really, uh, you know, just because of the type of film that it is. But even people started doubting Steven Spielberg, and apparently we all screwed up because apparently Ready Player One is awesome. Uh, a lot of people are responding positively to this movie, uh, that it's just an incredible the incredibly entertaining fun movie a visual spectacle unlike anything spielberg's ever done Uh, the south by southwest crowd gave it a standing ovation i'm so so excited uh now about this movie because it's you know spielberg went ahead he said usually i make movies i've made plenty movies from behind the camera but i made this movie from the audience and apparently this is just a big blockbuster crowd pleaser and that makes me really happy. Um, and not only just the crowd loved it, critics right now are are actually like, respected film critics for giving this movie very positive reviews. So I- I'm excited to see this movie now. And uh, that's a win for society, honestly, considering how trash the book is just in terms of its writing. Like, it's a, the fact that this movie is really great, that's uh, terrific, actually glad to hear about this um and that's gonna now that will close out the episode and uh i'm glad to see that ready player one is in fact good i'm excited to see this movie now and it was a movie that i was a little iffy on uh but i'm officially all in so this time we're gonna wrap it up you got i, I won't give you the full outro like i just did but uh here's some black boy and drake